I'm going to talk to you about another Christmas song, but first I want to talk to you about a different Christmas song, one that has a a lot of meaning to my wife and I. Back in either 1989 or 1990, when I was at my first church for the Christmas program, uh, I had all the little kids, you know, memorize and stuff and everything, and had our three sons who were uh, the oldest was maybe 10 at the time, so they were about 10, 8, and 6. And one of them had on my Army jacket. Another one had on uh, somebody else's Air Force jacket, and, and another one had another uh, Army jacket on, I think. And they sang the song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And we have a picture of, of that. And I'm going to get an 8x10 made for each one of the boys uh, that they can get out at Christmas time with their Christmas decorations if they want to. But it's something that just means so much to us. Whenever I hear that song, uh, it doesn't make any difference who's singing it. Uh, I always think of that Christmas program and that picture that we have uh, of our three boys uh, just singing that song. And... um, gets me choked up, I guess, uh, because I praise the Lord, none of our boys had to go into the military. Uh, When 9-11 happened, uh, they were all that age that um, they could very well have chosen to to go in and to serve, and uh, praise God they didn't, but it's a, a memory that I'll have forever, but let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for the memories that you give us in life. And Lord, some of them are great like this one. Others, not so much. But Lord, you give us the ability to remember things that are important to us. And so, Father, uh, as we look at uh, another Christmas song, Lord, help us to, to see the meaning that there is in this song and how it, it means or can mean so much to us today. So, Lord, I just praise you for your word. I praise you for the songs that are taken from your word and bring us such a great message in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the song I want to look at in this message is my favorite uh, classical Christmas song. Uh, I think maybe my favorite Christmas song overall is Mary Did You Know, but this is my favorite classic, and it was one that I always longed to have the opportunity to sing, and I guess, having been a pastor, I could have sung it whenever I wanted to, but one year in my first full-time appointment, uh, we had a Christmas cantata, and uh, this song was part of it, and so I got to sing the the solo on there. Excuse me. But the song is A Holy Night. Um, And that song has a special meaning uh, even besides that because uh, when I was pastoring churches, uh, the Christmas Eve service that we would have, I would print out copies of this song and invite anybody up that wanted to come up and sing. And we would usually end up with 40, 50 people up there singing. And some could 
sing really well and some not so much, but they just love to sing and that's okay. We were making a joyful noise. But I remember one woman, her, her two sons sang in a acapella quartet with our two oldest sons uh, from time to time. And she would always come up and she said, this is the only time that I'm allowed to sing. <laughs> and so she had that invite. But, oh, holy night. Uh, this is uh, something that I, I found in the history of this song. This Oh Holy Night is one of the most beloved Christmas songs of all time. Its fascinating story began in France. It eventually spread around the world. Uh, now, I got some French names that I'm going to try and pronounce and probably won't do very good, so forgive me. But in 1847, Pla Plage de Capa a commissioner of wines in a small French village and a known poet was asked by his parish priest to write a poem for their Christmas Mass. When he finished, Cantique de Noël, Capua, turned to his friend Adolphe Charles Adams to compose music for it. The song was sung at Christmas Eve Mass. Initially, a Holy Night was widely loved throughout France and made its way into many Catholic Christmas services. But when Capua later left the church and joined the socialist movement, and it was discovered that Adams was a Jew, the Catholic Church uniformly denounced the song, but by then it had become a Christmas favorite, and although banned in church, the French people continued to sing it. Meanwhile, back in France, legend has it that on Christmas Eve of 1871, in the midst of intense fighting between the French and German soldiers during the Franco-Prussian War, an unarmed French soldier jumped out of the trenches and walked onto the battlefield, singing the first lines of A Holy Night in French. A German soldier soon joined in, and fighting ceased for the next 24 hours in honor of Christmas. Years later, Reginald Fessenden, a young college professor and former chief chemist for Thomas Edison figured out that by combining two frequencies, radio could do more than just transmit Morse code. It would be possible to speak. On Christmas Eve 1906, Fessenden made history as he spoke into a microphone over the airwaves, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Shocked radio operators on ships and wireless business owners suddenly flocked to their units to hear over their tiny speakers someone reading the Christmas story from the book of Luke, a Christmas miracle. Fessenden then picked up his violin and performed the first song sent through the airwaves by radio, O Holy Night. Well, the first verse is probably familiar to most people that go to church anyways. It goes like this. A holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born, O night divine, O night 
O night divine. O holy night. Well, indeed it was the holiest of all nights. Why? Well, the next line tells us why. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. The long-awaited Savior, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He was finally here. God delivered the promise that was made hundreds of years before. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Sin. I think most of us know what that is. But let me give you a biblical definition of what sin is. It says we get the English word sin in the King James Old Testament from two main Hebrew words. The definition of that word, ketoth, first used in Genesis 4-7, is an offense. The second word, ketoth, which first appears in Genesis 39-9, means to miss. So the New Testament has two main original language words that are translated as sin. The word hemartia, which appears 174 times in the Greek text, is the act of committing an offense or a transgression. The second word, hamartano, occurs 43 times, which means is missing the mark. These terms are roughly equivalent to make an error or to wander from the path of righteousness. Well, to those, I can say, I've been there and done that. Okay, I have committed offenses. I have missed the mark many times. And if we're all honest, we can all say, yep, you know, many times today. I'm sure that I have. Well, the next line in that first verse says, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I can relate to that, too. When I, I realized that I've sinned, I, I feel like my soul just really doesn't have any worth, or certainly not the worth that it should have if I was living my life as I should. But when I seek forgiveness, then that worth returns. That forgiveness only comes through Jesus Christ. And I don't have to go to the temple. I don't have to provide a sacrifice of some kind because the babe that came to be the sacrifice for you and me, that's who I go to, is to go to Jesus and to ask him for forgiveness once again. The next line is, A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Just try to imagine the thrill of hope that the shepherds had. Can you even start to, to picture that in your mind? I don't know if you had the privilege of seeing the movie, The Chosen's Christmas movie. We haven't seen it yet, but there, on Facebook, there's been a, a clip from that, and it's the scene when the shepherds arrive at the stable. And just how moving that is. You know, Mary and Joseph are in the stable, and the baby is there, and he's, he's, he's holding the baby, and the shepherds come in. And, you know, I think there's three of them that they come in, and, you know, they're just so full of wonder, they, just, they fall on their knees, knowing who it is that's there. And the one shepherd reaches out his hands 
because he wants to hold the baby. And so Joseph looks at Mary and she, she nods and it's okay. And so Joseph hands that baby Jesus to the shepherd. And just a look on that shepherd's face as he looks into the face of Jesus Christ, the Messiah that he'd heard was coming, but nobody had seen until he saw him. He was one of the first people to see Jesus. And so, you know, it's such a, a moving moment. Well, the next line is, fall on your knees. That's what the shepherds did. And I can only imagine, you know, if, if we can even begin to imagine the delight, the awe, the, the praise that there would be if we could have been there ourselves. I believe we'd have to fall, we wouldn't have to think about falling on our knees. It would just happen. It would just be an automatic response that we would just drop to our knees. And if we took a moment to think about it, we think, how did I get down here on my knees? I don't remember coming down here. But just to be in the presence of the Savior. The next line is, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. Wouldn't you love to have been summoned to that place like the shepherds? O night divine, oh, divine indeed. What a life changing event. What a world changing event. You know, the world has not been the same since Jesus Christ was born. Well, the second verse you may not be as familiar with unless you're somebody that sings it. It says, led by the light of faith, serenely beaming with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So led by the light of a star sweetly gleaming here come the wise men of Orient land, the king of kings, lest they in lowly manger, in all our trials born to be our friend. He knows our need to our weakness. He's no stranger. Behold your king, behold him, lowly bend. Behold your king, before him, lowly bend. Led by the faith of the light, serenely beaming, the, the light, what light? The light of faith. In the first part of Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And Jesus, Jesus proclaimed in John 9, 5 that he was the light of the world. And we are told that he is the light. He's the one that casts out the darkness. Well, here in Matthew 5, he's letting us know that we're to carry on that light. We're to pass on that light because that's been given to us by him. So it's up to you and me to tell the world the real reason for the story. And it's done through faith and faith alone. The next line says, with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. I believe that it's just what this line is telling us to do. We can't stand by the cradle, but we can stand by what that stands for. You know, when yesterday morning, when we were at church and those that were going to be serving were gathered together, and in the middle of the room was a manger. 
that they had put together, <clears throat> excuse me, and just, you know, walking into that room and seeing that there, you know, it's, it's different than seeing a picture of it or different than, you know, seeing it, you know, tiny as part of a, a nativity scene, but seeing it, you know, the size that it may have been. Next line is, so led by light of a star, sweetly gleaming. We don't have that star to lead us. We don't need it because we've already found Jesus. So we don't need the star to lead us to where he is. Matthew 5, excuse me, Matthew 2 tells us about that star in verses 9 and 10. It says, after they, the Magi, had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Well, when the Magi found Jesus, they worshipped him. Well, we when we find Jesus, we worship him too. And not just at Christmas time, but should be an everyday thing. The next line, the king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials, born to be our friend. You know, if I were to have planned the birth of the Messiah, it would have been a lot different. It would have been wrong, but it would have been a lot different. Okay, you know, there would have been bands and orchestras and, you know, thousands and thousands of people, you know, just lining up to, to get a, a glimpse of the Messiah. You know, it, it would be in not a stable, it would be in a palace. And like I said, I'd be wrong. But to be born in a stable and having a, a manger for a bed, let me share something that I saw on Facebook that I want to share with you. Uh, and it shows a picture of this manger, and it's not like we picture it, okay? So let me read this to you. Did you know the following about the manger that Jesus was laid in? Of course, mangers are animal feeding troughs, but in ancient Israel, they were made of stone, not what you would see in a modern-day nativity scene. Not comfortable, but great for protection. That's why those who were experts in this manner, the priests, would put their newborn lambs in them for protection. But not just any lamb. The unblemished, perfect lambs that were used in the sacrifice for sins. And Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, was famous for their unblemished lands, lambs used in sacrifice. <clears throat> Excuse me. These lambs had to be protected, so they would wrap them tightly in cloth and lie them in the manger to keep them safe. This is exactly why the only time mangers were mentioned in Jesus' birth story is being told to the shepherds. In Luke 2, it says, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. The shepherds would have understood this powerful parallel. They knew 
what the cloth in the manger meant. This baby would be the perfect Lamb of God. The Messiah would sacrifice his life for the sins of the whole world. He wasn't just a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. He was God, perfect, sinless, and holy, humbling himself to become the perfect sacrifice to reconcile us back to himself. That, my friend, that perfect lamb is why we celebrate Christmas. Now, I've got to admit, I wasn't aware of that. And I know that it must be true because it was on Facebook. But it certainly makes sense. And so it's something that I'm going to hold on to is true. Next line is, he knows our need to our weakness. He's no stranger. How true that line is. He experienced all the sin of his time, and he was sinless. The perfect, unblemished Lamb of God. If he'd come to earth as an adult and lived for just a short time before he was crucified, this line of the song wouldn't be true. Well, it was all part of God's perfect plan. Jesus had to experience everything that we experience. He had to, you know, be confronted with sin and turn away from it. And he did every time. Now, you and I, we may get confronted with sin and we have to think about it. And, you know, we have a choice. You know, am I going to go to this sin, whatever it might be, or am I going to turn away from it? Jesus didn't have to do that. You know, when he saw it, you know, he was gone. He was out of there. But it's something that we have to make a choice. And hopefully we make the right one. The next line, <clears throat> behold your king before him, lowly bow. A proper etiquette when meeting royalty is to bow before them. How much more should we lowly bow before the king of kings? Okay, we would bow before Queen Elizabeth if we were to, to meet her and all these other princes and princesses. But to the king of kings, oh, how much more is needed and deserved. The third verse, let me read to you about this verse. It says, a decade later, songwriter John Sullivan Dwight introduced the song in America. An abolitionist, he was moved by the lyrics. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression will cease. The English lyrics quickly became popular, especially in the North during the Civil War. So let me give you that third and final verse. It says, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. O oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Well, it's easy to see 
These words weren't accepted very well in the South at that time. But the words are true. Okay, the first line says, Truly he taught us to love one another. He certainly did. He taught us that. But have we learned? You know, I know when I was going to school, my teachers taught me a lot of things. Some I learned. Some I wish now that I had learned and some I still struggle with. Some I didn't think I needed to learn and so I didn't bother with those things. A lot of times I just learned enough to, to get through. But it was still being taught. And that's what Jesus did. He, he taught us to love each other by example. Now, I'm a visual learner. Okay? And Jesus did that for me. Okay, he, he loved. He, he loved the tax collector. He loved the prostitute. He loved the leper. He loved Samaritans. He loved children. You know, whatever person or group you want to name, he loved them. And so because of that, he expects the same from us. The next line, his law is love and his gospel is peace. The dictionary definition of gospel is something that is absolutely true. Well, amen. That describes the gospel of Jesus perfectly. Something that is absolutely true. John 13, 34, Jesus tells us, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Not easy to do sometimes. But we're still called to do it. We're not called to do it because it's easy. We're called to do it maybe because it is difficult. But indeed, his law is love. Next line, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Well, the southern states, they didn't care for that. The slave is our brother? I don't think so. The slave was brought here to, to work for me and, you know, to do whatever I tell him to do when I tell him to do it and for me to treat in any way that I maybe want to treat them. Not that all slaves were treated bad. I know that there are some cases where that wasn't so, but for the most part, they certainly were not treated well. But Jesus treated everyone the same. He wasn't impressed by status. He didn't care if you were a Pharisee or a Sadducee. He didn't care if you were a prince or a king. He wasn't impressed by money. Okay, he talked about how the, the rich, you know, they were going to be taken down. It made no difference to him what your position maybe would be. Listen to Luke 14, verses 7 through 11. It says, When Jesus... Notice how the guests picked the places of honor at the table. He told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So when your host comes, he will say, Friend, 
move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Not one of us could be exalted as we stand before the Lord. Okay, We all deserve to be seated at the least important place. But Jesus, Jesus seats us at the place of honor because we are his brother. We are the child of God. And so he puts us in a place of honor. The next line, sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. You know, this time of year we sing sweet hymns of joy and we sing them throughout the year. You know, whether it's the old hymns of the church, whether it's uh, praise songs taken strictly out of the this gospel or out of the Bible, or whether it's something that some of you may consider to be more rock and roll than church music, it doesn't make any difference. We sing those sweet hymns of joy to the Lord and how well we should because we sing a song of, of a silent night and those that are faithful that are called and the angels that are singing on high and a little town called Bethlehem and we sing about the joy that was brought to the world and we sing about the manger that our Savior was laid in. All sung to the Lord. And the last line, Christ is the Lord, oh praise his name forever, his power and glory evermore proclaim. What a powerful statement. Christ is indeed the Lord. He has been since before the beginning of time. And he was when he was God-man on earth. And he is as he sits at the Father's right hand. You know, that holy night changed the world. Hopefully it's changed you as well. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for this time of year. I thank you because it's a, the reminder that I know that I need and maybe need to, to sing some of those Christmas songs throughout the year. And so, Father, help us to not just out of habit sing The Silent Night and O Come All Ye Faithful and, and all these other songs and just have them kind of roll off our tongue, not even thinking about the words. But Lord, let us take the time to look at those words and to, to see the truth that there is in them. Because Lord, they were written to glorify you and to give you thanks for sending your son. So Father, as, as children of God, help us to remember that more than anybody else. And if there's someone that's listening to this that, that doesn't know you, that you know, has sung some of those Christmas songs, maybe as a child or, you know, maybe still singing them now, but, you know, they don't really have any meaning to them. Lord, let them find out what the meaning of those songs really are, that Christ is here, that Christ was born and put in that manger and died on the cross for their sins and came back to life to live forever, and to live in us through your Holy Spirit. So, Father, if there's anyone that's listening 
that doesn't know you, hasn't made a commitment to you, hasn't taken seriously the relationship that they need with you, Lord, let them know that today is the day that they need to make that commitment. And let them pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Thank you that he rose to life and is coming again. Lord, help me to believe. Lord, help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.